Hello, and thanks for listening with us today. We are the Beach Church. We are real people trying to show real love from a real God. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and that you continue to stay with us. We are encouraged by everyone who listens. We hope that you are blessed today by everything that we talk about. See you guys. Take care. talk to you guys today about uh, the concept of harvest. Um, If you understand the way things are working in our um, calendar system today, uh, you will find uh, that uh, Friday night was the start of uh, the Feast of of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. Um, If you were to walk back into the back of the church in our back lot, you would see a booth we've built. and uh, it, its purpose historically was to remind God's people of when they put up temporary dwellings that uh, were so primitive that you could see uh, into uh, the night sky. But it was to remind them of how God was with them in the wilderness and how he was faithful to them uh, throughout their journey. And so uh, that is still a remembrance today for us. But it's a significant time uh, because it's also one of the three harvest feasts that we see, the pilgrimage feast that we see in the Bible. It's also Many scholars believe uh, to be one of the dates that people believe that Jesus was born. Um, that on that day when John 1.14 says that he literally tabernacled among us, that he pitched his tent among us, that that was a reference to the Feast of Tabernacles. And so uh, that's an important thing for us to think about because harvest is one of those uh, seasons that we see in our world uh, that always comes around. And in the, in the Bible, there were three feasts, and we'll look at those feasts momentarily, but harvest is an important thing. There are seasons and there are times that are appointed and these things are consistent in our lives. And today we want to talk about uh, the significance of the Lord of the harvest and what he is calling us to do. And so Genesis chapter 8, verses 22 says, As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. Right after the Lord uh, brought things back to order, after he put everything back in the place where it needed to be after the flood. He said, as long as the earth remains, these seasons will come and they will go. Day and night will occur. All the seasons will transpire. And that's a normal thing. Now, if you live in this part of uh, the, the, the world, you know that we don't have four seasons. We have seven seasons, right? You guys know it's not just, just winter, spring, summer, and fall, but it's like a false fall. Then you got... Um, What'd you say? Yeah, Satan's front porch in the summer, and then it's like, then it turns into, yeah, we got all kinds of crazy uh, seasons that it's not just as normal. When I lived in Ohio, um, one of the best things about Ohio, there weren't many good things about Ohio, but one of the best things about Ohio uh, was that you could experience the seasons. You actually could see the leaves fall before uh, things got uh, miserably bitter cold. Um, And so uh, those things were important for us to, to think about, uh, and they were, and so seasons were a way for us to connect in that way, right? And so uh, when it comes to the Jewish feasts, right, the three Jewish feasts that we're referencing here, uh, we have the uh, feast of uh, Passover, right? Go to that next slide for me, Aiden. Uh, so this is, this is another thing that, we, these are the three harvest feasts, right? The Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is Passover, 
um, which gives us um, a time of, of gathering, right? The Feast of Unleavened Bread, where people would come and they would, they would bring their grain and they would count it. Uh, that led into the, the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, Pentecost, uh, which was the counting of the Omer. And then we see the Feast of Booths, Sukkot, which was a time for them again to bring in the harvest. Now, these three feasts were pilgrimage feasts. They were designed to bring people together, right? And they were designed to bring them closer to God. And so that's an important truth for us today. And I want us to hone in on when we think about this, because harvest time is a season to come together. Today is the 1st of October. So in our calendar system, uh, we see this as a time of harvest, right? It's harvest time. We're celebrating Oktoberfest here at the church after uh, we're going to have all kinds of pretzels and cheese and sauerkraut and brats and all kinds of stuff. Um, we actually have uh, some of our members uh, in the church uh, that are of Jewish descent. And so I mentioned one. It's good to have Mr. John back with us today. Uh, he's, he's here with us. And so he um, has made us, uh, I think, some German sauerkraut, right? Did you end up making that? Or? That's okay. We, we do have sauerkraut. But anyway, uh, we, 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 we appreciate... Um, Mr. John's influence in our lives and in our church. And so uh, he, he is someone who is from German descent. My wife uh, is, is, is some German. I, that's why I don't get on her bad side because then she, she's got that, that German in her. But um, we appreciate that culture, right? But the reason why we're celebrating that today is on First Fruits, we always try to celebrate Jesus and celebrate each other. And so one of the things that the pilgrim feast would do is that it would keep people focused. It was like an appointed time for them to, to refocus their heart on the Lord, right? And so we see that about harvest time, that harvest time is a season to come together. It was a pilgrimage where God's people would come back to Him and to each other. When you were to come to the temple or to, to, the, to the synagogue and you were to bring your offering, uh, you were required to do that as a man, as a representative of your family three times a year to make this pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. You couldn't come back to Jerusalem empty-handed. You had to bring an offering, and you had to present that to the temple. That was part of your worship. That was a part of the feast. And so it wasn't just a moment where you uh, were drawn back to the Lord, but you were also brought back to each other because you would see people there that you maybe hadn't seen in a few months or maybe in a year. And so it was difficult for you to come into that place and for you to give that offering and for you to bring yourself to a place where you were focusing on the Lord without also uh, being able to have, having to kind of reconcile with someone, right? And that's difficult sometimes in our world because um, in our culture, we oftentimes have individuals that we are not necessarily, uh, we don't click with them like naturally, right? It's just one of those things we just, there's something about maybe first impressions or different dynamics of our personalities and it just doesn't always click right away. There's, there's some work to be done there. And so uh, we have individuals like that in our lives and, and, and we've probably developed things like that we call Christianese, right? So instead of us talking bad about those individuals, we will say things like, bless their heart, or God loves them, before we talk bad about them for 30 minutes, right? And we'll say, you know, I'm so concerned about them. I just love them and care about them so much, but I'm going to bash them for, for this long, right? So we develop these types of things because it, it's uncomfortable for us to say, I don't like this person. They're no good, dirty rascal. And if I see them one more time, it'll be too many times in my life, right? Those aren't things that are necessarily appropriate, nor were there things that you would probably expect to hear as people were coming to the temple to bring their offerings during these pilgrimage feasts. So the harvest time was a time for them to draw closer to God, to, to come back to God. 
and then for them to come back to each other. And so that's an opportunity for us today as we think about these truths, to think about what the Word of the Lord has spoken to us today. Because we grumble about a lot of things, right? Numbers talked about people who were grumbling at God for providing for them everything they needed for life and godliness while they were in the wilderness as he was leading them to the promised land. They complained about it, and they wanted to go back into slavery where they had all the food that they thought that they needed and that was what their, their desire was in their lives, was to get all of that stuff. So they would rather, they would rather go back into slavery than to live as free people walking in the will of God in their lives because God wasn't providing for them what they wanted. And so what did God do? God not only appointed people who were spiritual enough to help shoulder the load, but he told the people, oh, I'll give you what you want. <laughs> you will have so much, it'll be coming out of your nostrils. Right? That sounds like that's insane, right? And one of the things we see in the Bible, Jesus does the same thing in the, in the gospel passage that we're going to read today. Is God will often answer his people in ways that if you're just reading it without context, you go, whoa, man, that's intense, right? These people just want something different to eat, right? Is it too crazy to ask for something different than the manna, right? But we miss out on the extreme nature, right? You know what manna was considered? This is a very important truth for us to understand. Manna was considered bread of heaven. There are three instances in Scripture where we see bread being identified as a supernatural element. In the wilderness, Jesus said that you, that bread was provided for you, bread of heaven. But he goes on to say, I am the bread of life, right? In, in, the, in the tabernacle, in the temple, the showbread, the bread of the presence is what it was called. It was considered to be the face of God. Again, a supernatural bread that was on the altar. Jesus again mentioned, I am the bread of life. And then when he was at Passover breaking bread with his disciples, he told them that this is my body, broken for you. His body, the bread of heaven, right? That's what the Apostle Paul says. Is not the cup that we take, the cup of blessing. Is not the bread that we eat, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. And so they weren't just rejecting the fact that they wanted something different in their lives. They were rejecting the presence of God in their lives. They said, we want something different. You aren't enough, God. I want something different, right? So God obliges them in an extreme way, but he does so to counterbalance the insanity of what they were saying. Can you imagine being, being provided everything in your life? And then to have the audacity to say, this isn't good enough, God. I need more. Now, we're not, I'm, not saying here, I'm not sitting here to criticize on on Israel in, in, in the wilderness. I'm saying that to draw us back to a reality of we are often, we often do the same thing. We get provided so many things. I, I can't tell you how many times as a, as, as a parent that our children uh, get everything provided for them, right? And then they go, can we have this instead? And we're like, what? I have given you everything, right? Now, all the parenting gurus tell me that I should go, I hear you, I see you, I'll make you whatever you want, precious, because I value you, right? But my home training is, hey, you're going to eat what I put on the plate, because that's what we have, and if you don't like it, you can go, you can go to bed, right? If you look at my children, you know that they're not starving, so 
I think they're okay. That's a choice that we've made as parents. You guys do whatever you want to do. Um, But oftentimes, we look at those stories in the Bible and we think, man, how could they be that way? But we're often that way with God sometimes, right? And so the psalmist was even making that notion and saying, Lord, I know that sometimes I don't do what you you tell me to do. But I know your law is perfect. And I want to live in a way that brings you honor and glory, but, but oftentimes I miss that mark. So let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Let it be something that, that you continue to work on. And, and James lays out that truth about us thinking about how we treat one another. Right again, the harvest time is about us coming close to God and coming close together. And so let's look at Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 48. This is one of those passages in Scripture where Jesus says things that make you go, what? Why did he go so hard at his disciples? And so let's read it. We'll read 38 through 48, and then we'll, we'll highlight on some context stuff at the end. So Mark chapter 9, verses, starting in verse 38, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, don't stop him. Because no one who does a miracle in my name will be able soon afterward to say anything bad about me. I think it's important to stop right here and just add some, as I said, some context here. If you understand the culture, they called Jesus teacher. You know what that that word really is? Rabbi. Now why would they call him rabbi? Is because they were his disciples. They were, they were his students. And it was customary for a teacher, a rabbi, to have students. And Jesus talked to his disciples like this. And so we know this is the way that their relationship existed and how it existed. He told them, there's going to come a time where people are not going to know that you're my disciples because I won't be here for you to follow anymore. They won't be able to watch you follow me and say, well, they're clearly his disciples. They're going to have to know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And so it was customary for disciples to have a teacher, right? Usually had 10 or 12, and they would, they would follow that teacher around. They would literally learn proximity to that teacher. And so Jesus wasn't the only teacher, rabbi, that was in that area. I'm sure there were other people that were starting to realize that he was the Messiah. And so if there was somebody else who was, who was casting out demons in the name of Jesus, but wasn't a part of their group, you can see why John thought that was a problem because John thought that they had it all figured out, right? That their group was the only group that mattered and that no other groups had any opportunity or access to that. Now think about that for a second, right? In the eyes of the kingdom of God, if you found out that this calling that God had given you, this commission that God had given you to go into all the world and preach the gospel and to to make disciples, to find out that there was somebody else who had learned that Jesus was the Messiah, and they were casting out demons in his name. And you were offended at that because it wasn't a part of your group. You can imagine how that's ironic. It's ironic to think, why in the world would we want somebody to stop professing the name of Jesus as the authority that it is because it just doesn't fit in our, our group? And so Jesus chastises John and he begins to go even further in, in saying things that Maybe when you read it, you're like, wow, why would he say this? So he goes on and he says in verse 40, 
For whoever is not against us is for us. Whoever is not against us is for us. For I tell you the truth, whoever gives you a cup of water because you bear Christ's name will never lose his reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a huge millstone tied around his neck and to be thrown into the sea. Now, wow, he's putting that verse in the context of him chastising John for saying that somebody who wasn't a part of their group can't be doing this. And so we tried to stop him. And Jesus went on further to say, listen, if that kind of attitude leads you to, 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 to cause anyone to sin, you might as well just jump off a cliff. That seems intense, right? Wow. Maybe, I, maybe, I, maybe just tell me I was wrong and I'll say I'm sorry, but Jesus was, the text wants us to know how vehemently Jesus was trying to let him know that just because somebody didn't come from this group or that group, but if they're professing the name of Jesus, that we should rejoice in what God is doing because it's about the kingdom of God, right? It's about the kingdom. And so in this moment, Jesus was challenging them with something extreme. If your actions are so divisive, if your actions are so critical of somebody else for doing what they believe God's called them to do that doesn't go against Scripture, is it wrong for somebody to cast somebody out in the name of Jesus? Is it wrong for somebody to pray in the name of Jesus? Is it wrong for them to do that? No. It'd be wrong if they were doing it in the name of another entity, right? That's been some of the problem, right, that we see in our world today. And so he was saying, if you have a problem with that and you're trying to be so divisive and stop somebody from that, then then you might as well just jump off a cliff. <laughs> that seems extreme, but he doesn't stop. He says in verse 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life crippled than have two hands and go into hell to the unquenchable fire. Now, oftentimes we've read that verse and contextually we've been like, well, if you sin, right? If, if, if your hand causes you to sin in general, cut it off, right? But, but what is Jesus saying here? He's saying again, if what you're putting your hand to, if what you're doing is causing division, is causing strife, because we know in verse 50, he talks about peace. If what you're doing is causing division uh, and your hands are doing that, might as well just cut your hand off because you're not doing anything productive with it. You're not doing anything productive with it. He goes on to say, if, you're, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Thinking about that contextually, what do we spend our energy doing? What do we spend our time doing, right? You ever, you ever seen those folks? We had a, a gentleman at Seapoint who is an Italian entrepreneur, uh, and he started 12 businesses, restaurant businesses in the Virginia Beach area, and uh, he uh, eventually went into real estate, and now he's into software. But he's an incredible entrepreneur, but he told a story about how he got saved. Uh, when he was on his honeymoon in Las Vegas. Now, this will, sh this will shatter your paradigm, right? He was in Las Vegas getting his shoes shined, right? As he describes, a beautiful, wonderfully large African man named Enrique. And so he's sitting here getting his shoes shined on his honeymoon in Vegas, right? And this Enrique has his Bible out, and he begins to share with uh, this gentleman about the Lord, and he just totally, in the end of it, is holding Enrique, or Enrique's holding him, and he's crying and asking the Lord to come into his life. Now, he grew up a certain way, but he had never really 
understood the truth of, of the gospel until it was presented to him that way. But he said in his story that his family came from a very small place in Italy. And one of the things that would happen, it was such a, such a small place that if you were um, outside of the cultural norm, if you didn't look a certain way, uh, they would, uh, people would stare at you out their window like you were like crazy, right? Now that makes me think about like all the people who um, don't have as much time or have more time on their hands than they probably should, complaining about things people do more than they need to. And you just want to say in the name of the Lord, go do something, man. Because like you can't complain about everything everybody does all the time. Because if you, if you have enough time to watch what other people are doing, you probably need to do something else, right? Because that's a problem, right? And now, it's only a problem if we uh, allow ourselves to think about only the negative things, right? So if so we see somebody benefiting from the kingdom of God, we should rejoice in that. Instead of us going, oh, well, you know, they, they don't. You know, did you know that? I know. We just need to pray for them. I know. I'm worried about them. It's just not right. I know. Right, we spend all this time Christianizing the fact that we just need to let God move in our hearts and celebrate what God is doing for the kingdom, right? Celebrate what he's doing. So it goes on further to, to say, again, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. And then it goes on just for context. It says, everyone will be salted with fire. And he goes on in verse 50, and this is the verse that I want to help give you context as to why he's saying this, about all these extreme things, about if you cause somebody to stumble because of your actions, you might as well just jump off a cliff or cut your hand off or cut your foot off or gouge your eye out of anything that you are putting your energy to. It's going to cause somebody to, to stumble. It's because he's talking about the idea of them walking in peace. He says salt is good, right? And he's saying this to his disciples. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? He goes on to say, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. Be at peace with each other. You see, again, the whole idea of harvest is a time of us coming back to God and being drawn back to each other. It's an opportunity for us to be reunited to him and to be reconciled with one another. And it's one of the things Jesus told his disciples in John 14. He says, peace, I leave you. My peace, I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world does. Right? Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. The kind of peace that the world gives us is temporary. It's circumstantial, right? We can be at peace with one another until you say something about me, right? Until you say something that upsets me or I do something that upsets you or until our, the terms of our peace agreement are, are broken, there will be no peace. But the peace that Jesus was offering his disciples was the kind of peace that surpasses all understanding, the kind of peace that would allow them to walk in unity in the midst of turmoil and chaos, the kind of unity and grace that he would give them to be able to to endure the hardships of life. Because life can be hard, but the peace of God can be in our lives and cover us in every circumstance. 
And so let's think about that for a moment as we think about the peace of God. What is God revealing to us today in this moment that we need to focus our hearts on? What is He, what is he saying to us today? Aiden, if you want to play some soft music this morning, I want us to think about this for a moment, okay? What does it look like to be in peace? Are there areas of our lives where we have broken the bond of peace because of our willingness to honor the Lord? What have we allowed into our lives that hasn't brought Him honor and glory? I want us to take a few moments and think about that. Because in a moment, we're going we're gonna to participate in an exercise that the church has participated in since its inception. That we not only have been imparted with the Spirit of God inside of us, but Jesus said, my peace, I leave you. My peace, I give to you. And so the understanding was that as believers, we had the ability to proclaim peace in someone else's life. We have the ability to say, Shalom, may the peace of God abound in your life. And to mean it. And to want God to, to pour out His blessings, right? Because uh, Shalom isn't just peace, right? It's, it's blessings. It's, it's, it's prosperity. It's, it's restoring everything back to the way it was. That's the promise of peace. And Jesus told His disciples, I leave that with you. And we have an opportunity to do that as well. But before we exchange in the offer of peace with one another this morning, I want us to take a few moments and just ask God to forgive us of the times where we have allowed our desires and the things in our lives to overwhelm us, to cause us to do things that we know did not bring Him glory and honor. So can we pray that today? Lord, we ask You to forgive us today. Lord, we confess today that there are things that we have done and maybe have been tempted to even do today, Lord, and even in this moment. Lord, we know that in those opportunities, Lord, in those instances that we've sinned against you and we are humbly asking for you to forgive us, God. When we have squandered the gifts that you have given us, when we have forsaken the blessings that you have provided for us. Lord, help us today not to grow weary in our well-doing, God. Continue to love you with our whole heart, God. To continue to love our neighbors as ourselves, God. Lord, we are sorry for the times we've fallen short and we ask for you to forgive us, God. For you to move in our lives. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, for you to have mercy on us. For you to minister to us today. Lord, that we would continue to delight in your will. To delight in you, God. For who you are and what you are calling us to do. We thank you today for that, Lord, and we thank you that you have promised to forgive those who humbly repent and come to you and turn in true repentance, God. So Lord, I pray today that you would continue to do that, God, that you would continue to have mercy upon us, that you'd continue to strengthen and guide us and confirm us, Lord, that you'd continue to open our eyes to see you in a powerful way. And help us today, Lord, as we Engage with one another, God, to know that you have given us peace. And may we be those who endeavor to pass it along. To pass along the peace of God. 
but may you be glorified in everything that's said and done today. And we thank you today for all that you do for us. Amen. Can we exchange the gift of peace with one another this morning for a few moments? Can you just walk around and, and offer someone the peace of God this morning as, as we do so? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen, brother. Peace to you. May I bless you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O oh Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. All things come from you, O oh Lord. And of your own, we have given you. And Lord, today it is right. And it is our duty and our joy, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you. And to honor you with our lives. We thank you today in joining our voices with the angels, Lord, and proclaiming our praises to you today and all the company of heaven. Hallelujah. We say, holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Lord, we thank you today that in your gracious love and your infinite mercy, you made us for yourself. And when we had sinned against you and became subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent your only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world for our salvation. 
And by Your Holy Spirit, He became flesh and dwelt among us. In obedience to Your will, He stretched out His arms upon the cross and offered Himself once and for all that by His suffering and death, we might be saved. We thank You for that today. That we can have the peace of God in us because of Christ. Because of what He has done. Because of His love and His mercy in our lives. And so we thank You for that today. And we pray that You would continue, Lord, to move in our lives for Your glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank You, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank You, Lord. Hallelujah. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it. But when He gave thanks, He said, Blessed are You, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. He gave thanks, and He broke it. And He gave it to His disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is My body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup. Now, I'm not going to make you guys drink from this cup. Um, (laughs) But I I want you guys to understand the symbolism of, of what a cup meant. And so when Jesus talks about a cup, he's not just saying that we shared a drinking beverage at the same time together. He literally was giving them the cup. It was a sign of covenant. It was a sign of agreement. It was a sign of coming together. It was, it was the language of the marriage ceremony, the, the ketubah. It was, here's this cup. If you take this cup, then you're coming into agreement with everything that I'm telling you. And so he, he gave him the cup. And so what we do and what we've done today, just so you guys know, we've taken the water and the wine, symbolizing our union with Christ. And we've poured it in this cup. And I've taken everything from this cup and I've put it in these individual cups. So with full integrity in our hearts, we can say that we have shared the cup of blessing today. That's what Paul said. It's not the cup that we drink, the cup of blessing. It's not the, the, the bread that we eat, the, the body of Christ. And so what did Jesus do? He took this cup and he told his disciples that this is the cup. And he gave thanks. And he said, blessed are you, God, ruler of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. And he gave thanks and he said, Drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, we celebrate the mystery of the faith that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. You see, this moment is a reminder to us that the story isn't over. The story isn't over. He's coming back. And every chance we get to celebrate it is a chance that we remember that He died for us. But He's also coming back. He died, He resurrected, He ascended, and He's coming back. And so we celebrate the memorial of our redemption. And we are welcomed today into the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
And so, Lord, we pray today that you would sanctify this bread, God, and this cup, Lord, by your word and your Holy Spirit to be for us, your people, the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, and that you would sanctify us also, that we may worthily receive this mystery, this holy sacrament, this inward grace, and this visible sign that we may be made one body with him, that he may dwell in us and we in him, that in the fullness of time he may put all things in subjection under himself and establish his throne back on the earth to bring us with all your saints into the joy of your heavenly kingdom. But we wait that day. And we thank you for that today. And now as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. Amen. Amen. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. Lord, we don't presume to come down to this table or to partake of this cup and this bread, God, trusting in our own righteousness. Lord, we are unworthy to come down here, but you and your infinite love and grace have given it to us. You've made it possible for us to come and be partakers, Lord. And so we thank you today for that, God, and we pray that you would continue in your grace to pour out your spirit, God. May your presence be felt in this place, God, in a heavy way as we remember, Lord, what you have done for us. As we remember, Lord, not the, the message or the, or the songs, God, or the food, but we remember you. That you are our source and you are the focal point of everything we do. God, may you be glorified today as we humble ourselves before you and come before you. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Lamb of God, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world. Grant us your peace today that we would walk in that newness of life today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The gifts of God for the people of God. Let us take them in remembrance that Christ died for us and feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. As the Lord leads on your heart, as you are prepared to come, can we come and partake of his incredible gift and presence today? Hallelujah. Hey, thank you for watching today's podcast. We hope that you will continue to join us and subscribe. Remember, 
We're just real people trying to show real love from a real God. And everything that you do to help with that uh, brings glory to God. So thank you, guys. Take care.